You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Double Lip Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. Greetings to Nisad Tangen, Norway. Uh, I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. I probably really, really butchered that. Um, but it uh, looks like a small town across the fjord from Oslo. Um, wow. Continuing on with many, many more international listeners. So, greetings to Norway and everyone up there from the Scandinavian part of Europe. That's cool. So, uh, anyway, I heard, uh, well, first of all, everyone should be very thankful to Glenn for waking up from his, uh, from his beauty sleep. I think I, I, <laughs> uh, I think he dozed off for a little bit, but he's back with us. So if we, um, you know, make less sense than usual, it's just cause it's super late. But, uh, I heard last night you went out to see a movie. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I saw the, the Deadpool movie. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. <laughs> it was great? perfect. It was so well done. Uh, did yes. you stick? Did you stick around for the very, very, very secret ending at the very, very end? Oh yeah, of course. Oh, that was it. Was fantastic. Fantastic. Oh. Yep. I, I, I from the opening credits. I, yep. I just I was I was laughing so hard. I actually went back and saw it a second time. I think the opening night crowd that I saw it with was just laughing so hard that I missed half the jokes the first time. So yeah, it's um, it's so fast. It and, and and I had the same feeling from the the minute of the opening credits. I went, I'm gonna like this. I'm yep. this is this is gonna be special. <laughs> this was a movie made for Glenn. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are feeling that way. So I know it's great. It's great that it was it was so well done. So the tone just perfect and uh, with the glut of superhero movies not the exact same thing that we've already been seeing um right so oh yeah anyway uh enough of glenn and eric at the movies um we uh, we have a few more emails uh, over the past couple weeks here glenn uh, a few even based on our uh, making a murderer uh, episodes Yes. So um, yes, um, this has been kind of interesting. I think we're, we've hit the big time now. We got we got <laughs> non forensic people listening. Yeah, uh, that that's the the cool thing about both of these is they're not necessarily from forensic scientists or fingerprint examiners. But I I guess I, I when we took on this episode, which you know I know I, I was very much for. I, I kind of thought that could happen too. We might rope in a few people from the outside. Just it's such a hot topic, right? Um, oh, and by the way, uh, did you happen to see the uh, the agenda? I think it's for the I want to say the Illinois State uh, Division of the IAI coming up here. Yeah, I, I did see that. Uh, was the detectives from from this case are presenting there? Right, uh, there. Uh, I was. I was really happy for the Illinois division, um, you know, because I, I, I went up in a couple years ago now, I was at their conference when it was in Joliet, and uh, glad to see that they've got, you know, kind of big names, so that should be a big draw for their conference this year. Uh, that's very exciting for them. Yeah, and in, in fact, they're expecting such a such a big turnout that they're making sure that only law enforcement, essentially, you know, members of the IAI are able to attend, 
and uh, and you need to show your credentials. They're going to make sure that you know no press or outside or media. It's that that this is really for law enforcement professionals and IAI members, um, which I I think you would have to do with something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember when I saw the Columbine presentation at the IAI, it was the same thing. They actually had people checking, and you had to show your badge and you know. Or I, when I said, sorry, not not your shield, not your badge, bat your um, your your <laughs> lanyard. You have to show right. your very official your name badge. lanyard. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, that's great. And I remember, you know, when I saw their presentation at the II, which I mentioned in the episode, yeah, yeah. you know, it wasn't, I, there wasn't any controversy in my mind at that time, but it was, I think, I want to say a four-hour presentation or bordering four hours. Now it's six, so they've added an extra two hours, I suspect, to rebut many of the issues that have probably come up in the documentary. Right, right. right. And uh, I'm sure they're, they're getting... Um uh, lots of requests for, for this kind of stuff. So, uh, it's, it's great that, that, uh, you know, people up there in, um, Illinois area and surrounding parts can all kind of come down and see that if, uh, if that's their interest. So, yeah. And you know, if, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not able to attend because I, I think I'm training and I think you had something going on too around that right. time. Right. Um, we should try and get someone who did it who does attend and see yeah. what, uh, what they say and kind of get some uh, insight in, into it and what they've added so continuing on with the, with our with this series we'll have a heck we'll have a 10 part <laughs> series of our part. own here pretty soon yeah I heard too that they're going to be making a, a second season of this uh, following the case uh, I don't know oh, what more they can squeeze out of it but we'll, I guess we'll see and yep. uh, I think they've been confirmed for maybe a movie and some other things. So this case is really, really caught national wow. and international attention. Although right, I, so... I saw that they were looking at Billy Bob Thornton to play uh, Steve Avery, and he's going to have to put on a lot, of, lot, lot more weight. Yeah, if, I mean Billy Bob back in the '90s, maybe not, but not not skinny Billy Bob now. Heroin chic Billy Bob. <laughs> You get uh, you know another another uh, Zach Galifianakis that might work with the beard and everything. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that. <laughs> as long as he plays his character from The Hangover, that would be that would be great. Uh, he's got to get the accent down though. Now, that's yeah. a big part of the of, of this whole thing. It is okay. So um, do you, well, let's let's take the the first one, which uh, right. which I, I think did we both. Did we both get well? And, yeah, uh, yeah, we both got this one. Okay, all right. So, this is from an author in Australia. Uh, I think it's okay to say her name. Uh, yeah, she did a. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She did. Uh, she, she goes by J. L. Whitaker, and uh, she's written a couple of books there in Australia. And uh, she, oh, here, let, let's try this. Um, she's an expat, so she she's uh, she's right. American. Uh, spent some time in you know different places around the U.S., including Arizona, before uh, moving down under. Yep. So here we go. Hi guys, I grabbed your podcasts about making a murderer from a Reddit post and listened straight through, even though I was tempted to stop and throw my tablet across the room a few times. Just kidding, but seriously. So it's nice to know that we pushed some buttons, and, and you know, I don't 
know how much this was necessary but again to reiterate i mean we we have our own opinions everyone has their opinion about it then right you know i the, i think the main thing is we have our opinions formed from our years of dealing with forensic science i mean right away one of my first quips when we entered into the topic was well he must be innocent because uh, they didn't find any latent prints on the vehicle and (laughs) everyone in the latent print business knows what a joke that is to say because of course we all know that we often don't find latent fingerprints on a surface but in the in that episode they made a very big deal out of it and it was quote unquote so suspicious they must have wiped it all down but we know the reality so that's just it i mean we have a certain reality and a certain perspective it's probably colored by the people we work with in our environments but you know we we were neither there when it happened we were not there when the evidence was collected we've done our own research to read you know transcripts and to read reports and to you know look at the evidence from the outside but that's just it we're looking at it from the outside anyway um to continue um, I'm one of the obsessed about the Avery case since the Netflix series came out, and we, I've been reading, studying, and discussing much about it. The whole idea of crowdsourcing investigations is fascinating to me as it has unfolded. That may be an interesting topic for you guys to address. So let's address that. What do you think about crowdsourcing, Eric, when it comes to investigations? Pros, cons, go. Uh, well, um pros I, I i guess you get to lots of different perspectives um and well okay so cons um th- this is a career for people you know i mean it, i mean i know that there's a um a whole history of you know amateur sleuths you know in, in literature and but this is this is something that you you work towards and you build throughout your career. Um, so the, the idea of just, well, let's just see what, you know, I don't know. I, I guess it would probably go over just as well as a lot of other crowdsourced stuff is, is how I mean, about crowdsourcing your open heart surgery? Well, right. It's one thing if you crowdsource it so that, you know, the funding comes in to hire somebody to do it, like crowdsourcing movies. You know, that's kind of the way that those have been going. But, you know, you don't just have every guy that, you know, is interested in it joining in to do... I mean, like you, we talked about a few weeks ago. You you uh, you chipped in some money to make the uh, the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 happen. But, you know, you're you're not... <laughs> you're not writing in jokes for him, you know? And not that you know your jokes would be all that terrible to fit in with with the uh, with the show, but they're going to hire professional writers to do this. You know, that's that's just kind of the way it works. So I don't know. Um, the The idea of, of crowd, crowdsourcing these things is I don't know, it just kind of gives me a chuckle because, like you were saying, crowdsourcing open heart surgery. Uh, all right, everyone, come on in. Let's see. Let's see if we can figure out what the, what what this guy's suffering from. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think there is a tendency for the viewer um, to be pulled into certain things. I mean, for example, if you you know in let's say sports or you know National Football League, 
we all watch, you know, well, well, many of us, we watch it. We have opinions. We certainly right. think we could call the right play, and we think we could do the. We think we can. Um, but that's why we leave it to the those professionals. One of the things, though, I will say is that uh, perhaps the place for it is when a case truly has stalled out. When, I mean, a case reaches a certain point that it can't go any further. Uh, you know, there's something, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, Eric, here in the United States. They're called the VDOC Society, V-I-D-O-Q. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think we had a, a speaker at a conference recently that's part of that in some way, because uh-huh. uh, it's, it's ringing some bells. Yep. Uh, VDOC was a, f- a famous French investigator, and right. uh, this this is a society here in the United States. It's almost like a secret society. You have to know special people and get special invitations to attend. I believe they're located in Philadelphia. Um, and they bring in forensic professionals and uh, profilers and all kinds of people from various realms, all to look at cold cases, to look at, you know, generate new ideas, new leads, and, and so on. Um, it's, it's that, uh, that's perhaps where that might have a place where, you know, getting a case out to the public and maybe someone who hadn't realized what was going on could now offer an opinion or offer maybe even a new, bring forth new witnesses or, you know, think about a case in different angles that somebody missed. Sometimes fresh eyes on it can be helpful. Although, again, I think it's, it's, fresh eyes are important, but fresh eyes of experts, I think, are what you want here <laughs> right and because that's that's the thing it's a slippery slope between um you know amateur sleuths that are actually looking for the truth and you know, then kind of sliding down to people with an agenda or people that are approaching this without an open mind that mm-hmm. are uh that which maybe they've accused the the you know the cops in this case of not having this that open mind, but still not having an open mind in the other direction. Uh, down to you know the conspiracy theorists and and uh, the, the you know the alien abduction people. And, um, we can have a there's some websites currently going. This is kind of what not this email because Jan here from Australia. Uh, her email is very uh, is well written and and, uh, and is is trying to you know, provide information to you know to us you know as these this podcast hosts. Um, but uh, with the Jody Arias uh, trial here in Arizona, hmm. um, just you know if you're kind of just perusing the internet a bit, all of a sudden you come across some of these conspiracy theorists. Uh, that you know, are convinced that Jody Arias is innocent, uh, that it, that she, even though she admits to to killing him, that uh, it wasn't her; that she's just kind of been forced into the situation. It was really uh, Mormon ninjas that uh, that killed Travis Alexander. I, I'm not I, kidding. I, I'm heard, not making that up. I've heard that they are quite deadly. <laughs> quite quite deadly. <laughs> Um, and one of the most recent ones was, well, look at this picture, um, of, you know, it's like a still frame from the video from the court of, uh, the latent print examiner holding up this picture of uh, a latent print. And they're like, see, it's not even red. 
you know, they claim that this is in blood, but that's impossible because it's not even red. I mean, it doesn't take much more than your first day on the job at a crime scene before you realize that, you know, blood after it's dried on a wall for a week often isn't red, especially not red after you process it with immediate black. <laughs> um, so this this reading into things that aren't really things like look here's more evidence to support the mormon ninja theory because <laughs> this picture doesn't have red blood it's all like brown and gray and black well yeah because it dries and then you process it with immuno black so it's gonna turn like black i think that's that's really where that some of this danger is 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 that people think they know a whole lot more than they don't um than they a whole lot more than they really do know about the topic yeah, I mean, I, I think that that, of course, is the obvious danger of bringing in people from the outside that don't uh, just just don't have that experience with uh, with forensics. Um, but as you as you also said earlier, um, you know, our this this listener here, Jan, uh, JL JL Whitaker, um, Jan. Uh, actually has, has some really interesting views that made us take a look and go to her, her website, which uh, I'll continue here. Uh, but the real reason I'm writing is to show you a few things I've come across that don't fit your analysis of the evidence. I won't disagree that at the surface level, physical items were found. Uh, for example, the magic key and the magic bullet. Uh, what I, I do ask you to consider, though, are two additional, at least, factors and how they came to be there, time and person. As you said in the show, either part one or part two, which you can't recall, uh, it is dangerous to plant evidence because you could get caught due to photographs you may not be aware of that have been taken essentially by previous personnel that were at the scene. So that that was a comment I think we had made that if you're not if you're not in complete control of this and you are there at all times, then any move, any change or altering to a scene, you just don't know what photos or video has been taken before you start doing that, and that could really that could really be a problem. And that's exactly what she wants to point out here. Um, so she points us towards her blog posts, and um, like we can give the we can give that here. It's uh, http uh, colon backslash backslash jan. Whitaker, that's J-A-N-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R.com, janwhitaker.com, slash spot hyphen the hyphen magic hyphen bullet and key one word. So I'm sure if you Google Jan Whitaker spot the magic bullet and key, you'll get to that. You'll get to that place. And and at least right now, it's like the... It looks like second or third post in her recent post. If you just even if you just go to janwhitaker dot com. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So we went there, and um, basically, uh, the I, I started with uh, the magic bullet. I found that one pretty interesting. Um, the the key one, I think we had already already addressed a little bit in the episode about how. There are these, you know, photos of the corner. There are the slipper and the condition of things. And later, when they find the key. It, it is very strange that the key somehow, if it fell from the bookcase, landed in that position, or was it inside the you know the slippers and they didn't realize or under the slippers? I, it, it is it is simply not clear. I mean, the, the from the testimony and from the transcripts, it sounds like over and over and over that when they 
search that area after moving the bookcase, after rattling around the bookcase, they saw the key there at that point. That's that, that's all that's all you have. And whether or not you believe that or not, whether or not, you know, even if even with that one thing, does that change anything for me? Not no, not not necessarily. I mean, even even if even if you go down that road that it was planted, it still doesn't change the outcome for me. And and they, and I think they even talk about it as much in the video that you know in in that series um it's it's simply one piece of it that seems really unnecessary because you have all of this other potential evidence but that's what Jan's um blog goes towards is some of the other evidence like the bullet um anything else you you want to say about the the key there same kind of thing i mean if you look at the pictures uh i mean you can see you know at the outlet you know exactly kind of where the key is found and in the initial pictures uh there's a pair of shoes that are covering it up and then you see it in the final picture uh, underneath where the shoes were um the only other real difference um you know the stuff in the desk or the file cabinet whatever that thing is have been have been moved around there's different things you know in in that position i don't know i guess the the cord coming out of the plug is a little there's a different tension on it. So um, uh, it's just one little part of uh, of this puzzle. I, I, it, I don't know. It, in my view, it, frankly, it could have happened either way. Um, so yeah. that's the – if I'm willing to accept that it was planted, I have to be just as willing to accept that actually it was found there under natural conditions. It just – it's odd, but I've been to enough scenes where, guess what, things are odd sometimes at scenes or things just happen a certain way. You know, the, the, as I pointed out in that in that episode, the thing that surprised me the most was the testimony about knowing its significance. I'm still trying to find out how everybody the, knew right away that that was, was the key, the key right. to that to the vehicle that they were looking for. And I had offered maybe somehow someone knew about the lanyard um, and had a picture of it or a description or whatever, so they knew what they were looking for, but just finding a key in in and of itself i don't know how you would know that goes to the toyota rav4 uh, i've got i'm still going through transcripts i'm still reading transcripts from the, the trial i i still if i was to attend that illinois conference that would be the one question i would have how did you guys actually know that was the key from the moment you saw it just from a right. visual examination anyway um, the 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 other one that I thought was really very interesting. I spent a lot of time. I don't know how much time you spent going through the photos, but she. I'm showed, looking at it right now. <laughs> oh, okay. She showed the photos of the garage, and um, some of the resolution in the photos, I I was a little hard. They were it just wasn't great. But then she zoomed in on a few, and basically there's an overview of the garage when they're doing the search, and they show the corner of the garage where there's a gas compressor. I think it's a green gas compressor. And that's when they didn't know that there was, quote-unquote, a bullet there, assuming that the bullet was there. That's, you know, I'm willing to accept that assumption at the time. And so you can see this area, and you can see where the bullet, quote-unquote, should have been. And then later, when they do find the bullet, again, 
assuming all of that. Um, they have moved the gas compressor, and then they've got the placard in there with the scale showing where the bullet is. And, and I think Jan's point is that in the original photo of the scene, you can see the area where the bullet should be, and it's, it's not there in the photo. Um, although it's it's back from the it's back a distance and it's a little blurry, but I, that's her point is that right. in that area, I, she doesn't see a bullet. Then later they move it in the same area. Now you it's zoomed in and now there's a bullet. So that's her point that it you you can see that it wasn't there in that photo. That's that's what what is it, and, and what's your reaction to that? Well, okay. So looking at the photos, I'm trying to line up things. Um, which is a little difficult to do. Different uh, angles. Yes. Different angles, exactly. Yes. That's one of the big things. And, yeah, and, and anyone who's been to scenes know that those angles really matter. They, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, and angles get distorted very quickly in photography. It's one of the reasons that uh, we find with rookie cops, they don't do a great job with footwear impressions because if their camera is not perfectly parallel to that, you can begin to distort the size of a right. footwear impression. So those angles are really really critical but um just from you know just from looking at you know at least my impression of it i would line up where the bullet is found in the final picture Mm -hmm. as being behind the tire behind the the compressor yep Yep. that was that was exactly what i thought man that's exactly what i thought too it's just like everything else in this case, another inch, just one more right. inch, one way or the other, and then we could explore this theory. It's just off a little bit on that angle that you can't see enough where that tire would be to make any kind of conclusion. That was exactly what I thought. And in the, I, in the first initial picture, you can't quite see the foot of the... Looks like a toolbox, like a yeah, it's one upright of toolbox. Yeah, you can't yep. quite see the foot, and which help would help a lot in exactly placing you know things with the final photo where you can yep. see the foot and then the um, uh, the the ruler that's kind of coming out from the foot. You know, judging kind of right where that the bullet's found. But I, I place it right kind of just right behind that tire. Yeah. Yep. And just a couple, maybe a foot to the left or whatever, maybe then you get the shot behind there and you can see the flash gets back there and you can see. But if it's behind, if it is behind the tire, well, then again, that explains why it wasn't really clear, uh, you know, looking around. It would have been easy to have missed a small piece of metal like that in, in a you know, large area that was really cluttered. Well, and, and, I mean, heck, if, you know, obviously they moved the compressor out of the way to start searching back in that corner. You know, who knows? Just rolling that thing out of the way, you know, kind of kicked the bullet a few inches one way or the other. Yeah. Um, so maybe it was even just, you know, a few inches in a different direction and, and uh, further back against the wall or something, and then the wheel ran over it and it moved to its current position. So... I mean, even if you w- would accept that it's the exact same position and you would see that exact spot, it, it's not this, you know, definitive. It's not conclusive. Uh, it's not this conclusive evidence to show that the bullet wasn't there the first time. It's just yeah. not. 
Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate, of course, the perspective and the oh yeah know, the the effort, and that that's exactly what I was talking about. I mean, she was she. I mean, that I mean, sounds like we independently were on to the same idea that that's one of the ways you could prove that is to to go to the source of those photos. But if that's all they have, and you know, and you don't have any more than that, then well, then you're somewhat you know somewhat dead in that. Uh, okay, so yeah, Jan wrote back again after you know we said we were going to take a look, and one of the, the the things that she she is bringing up is is how the prosecutors cherry pick which evidence they want to present, mm. and I'm not a lawyer, but I, I I thought that's kind of the the job that the prosecutors are tasked with doing is is presenting the evidence uh, that supports their case, and then the you know the the defense you know, uh, brings forth evidence that, uh, supports the, uh, the innocence or, or that refutes the evidence of the prosecution. And then that's basically the, 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 the nature of our criminal justice system. It's, it's a confrontational system. So that, that's what I was kind of confused about is, is, you know, why that, that's a thing viewed as being wrong. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there it is true. I mean, they when they build their case, I mean, they don't present necessarily every single aspect. Sometimes I, I've been involved in cases where there was evidence that the prosecution wanted to present, but it was essentially objected to uh, because, and in, at least in, the, in American jurisprudence, uh, the concept of relevance under the federal rules of evidence, the you know rules four hundred one, four hundred two, four hundred three, um, right. It's it's more than just that this is something in a case. It has to provide you know specific information and not be overly prejudicial. Prejudicial. For example, I mean, in a typical fingerprint case, the prosecutor wanted he could he could present you, Eric, and your verifier and your administrative reviewer, and that would be three <laughs> people to come in talking about the latent print print identification. Now that's all part of the case. That's all part of the evidence. But usually. Uh, judge might say, you know what, we're not going to hear from the verifier, we're not going to hear from the administrative person unless there's some issue, because that's piling on. There might have been three people that formed this opinion, but it's not adding anything more to the case. And in fact, a jury might just, at this point, begin focusing less on the fact that it's an identification, and wow, it's three people, and they might in some way be prejudiced by hearing it three times as opposed to the most important thing was well there's an identification and now I need to figure out what that means in this case so judges and prosecutors do their and defense attorneys do their due diligence to make sure they've got enough to essentially for the prosecutor to you know, prove beyond a reasonable doubt but not piling on or not right. bringing in things that might offer some tenuous forensic evidence or any kind of circumstantial evidence but might have some kind of negative effect on the jury and this is what gets sorted out this is part of those choices i can think of plenty of cases where there's lots of other stuff that we were all well aware of and other tests that were done and other things it's all part of the case but was not presented to a jury for various reasons like you know, once once the uh, the defendant uh, admits to being there and then takes on a um, you know justifiable defense uh, argument, then 
you know, the latent print evidence on the gun doesn't really matter anymore. And, you know, that might just be kind of glossed over because that's not being disputed anymore. Everyone, right. you know, everyone all, all sides are agreeing. Yes. You know, the defendant was holding the gun. Right. Um, but we're going to argue something else instead. Yeah. Um, so in, in that sentence, she was talking about misrepresentation and cherry picking of evidence. So the cherry yeah. picking, I don't really see that as a thing. It's, it's, you know, it, it's built into the, the judicial system. Um, and, uh, the defense is, is absolutely as guilty of cherry picking evidence as a prosecution. It's just the way it works. Yes. And, uh, and I, I will admit I've, I've known of cases or heard prosecutors, you know, in various ways utter, yeah, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to bring, because they know that introducing that, that piece doesn't add that much more to their case, doesn't add that much more evidence to their case, and in fact, might only weaken their case right. um, because it opens up a whole new avenue of questioning that would not be there without that evidence. So they look at it and go, well, this only gives me a little bit, but might cause me tons of other problems. And so they choose not to present that. Is that right? I, it's not for me to say. That is the system right. we work in. That's their job. They pick the evidence for their case, and they do this with you know that circumspect eye on it. That I don't want to get burned on this, so I, I'm not going to bring. I'm not. I don't want to bring that up. And I right. that happens. That that also happens. And uh, but the misrepresentation thing. Yeah, I think we even talked about some of that of of uh, the prosecution. Uh, misrepresenting some of the things that were said, especially in the uh, in the confessions. Um, yeah, the the press conference that they held. And the, exactly, uh, you know, th- there was definitely an issue with that. Even saying things like, you know, guilty people don't confess, and and you know, the, the documentary really does a you know pretty complete job of of showing how different things were misrepresented by um, the uh, the prosecutors. Uh, you know, she goes on to talk about um, different problems with the investigation and the collection of evidence at the scene. And I think we we did, especially that second episode, spent a lot of time, yeah. um, you know, going over that as well. And totally agree, they they completely screwed up that investigation. Um, uh, well, I, I, I well I don't not know that. I don't, yeah, I uh, right. I I think choices were made that unduly and unnecessarily could have compromised key elements of the forensic evidence and the investigation. And right. I, I am seeing that over and over in the transcripts where, in, again, the laboratory, you know, the, the state lab was there. They were there. And even communications between the state lab and the investigators kept saying, hey, you know, if you had called us earlier or we were more involved in this, we would have done this differently or we would have – we're the forensic people here. We know this, right. how to do this. We've got the equipment. We can do this. And a, a lot of it was, well, no, you just come out and do this one thing. And uh, having been in that position myself, and it, it, it's not only frustrating, sometimes you sit back and go, well, it's not our investigation. It's yours, and you handle it the way you want. But I kind of am the expert here in this in this task. <laughs> right. But, and um, you're, And when you call me out a few days after working it, and then want me to do it, I'm not going to be real happy about that. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to complain, but I ain't going to be real happy. And when you get me on the stand later and I get asked some questions, 
my answer is going to be things like, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have. And that's exactly what happened in, in the case. And the transcript right. was some of the, you know, the state examiners who did come in later. It's clear that they were a little upset about I, I shouldn't say upset. I'm, I'm throwing you. They they made they made statements that said we we sh- it would I it would have been ideal for us to have been involved earlier and have more control over this particular task and how it was completed. Right, and then fewer questions would have been raised yeah. uh, later about some of that evidence. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, I, so a lot you, of the same points that we brought up. I really, really would. I, I got to hear from someone that attends this. That attends this presentation because <laughs> I want to know if if they see that I really want to know if they can if they step back and go you know what lessons learned after seeing this and the reactions you know we should have done X Y Z we really we learned our lesson or if it's a if if they don't have that view I really would like to know that no anyway so all right I I really want to thank Jan for um, or J L Whitaker for. Uh... You know, for writing in, and I'm glad we have non-forensic people listening to the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, and I think overall, you know, there are a lot of uh, points that we agree on. Um, you know, a few things that we don't see as 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 a big de- as big a deal as as she does, or as as put the weight behind certain things. Um, yeah, I, I, Jan Jan's views on this is the kind of thing that I would enjoy. Having a couple of glasses of wine right. <laughs> and and talking, you know, with her over this, you know, over dinner and getting her perspectives and why. I mean, she, like you said, very thoughtful, very insightful. Asked lots of good questions. Um, you know, it's it's it would be fun to talk to her about her, you know, more about her views on this. Um, right. But I think we're you and I have our own views, probably somewhat biased, uh, because we work within the system. And we're forensic scientists, and we see all kinds of cases where things go a little sideways, but in the end, we think justice is still served, you know, regardless of what may have happened in the case. Right. Um, so, real quick, uh, let, let's cover the, the other uh, email yes. that we got here recently. That, see, that was a little segue <laughs> for you there. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, uh, as opposed to, you know, enjoying a nice glass of wine and dinner and talking, you know, about this, this case uh, in kind of this academic, um, I'd be a little more afraid of, uh, of meeting uh other person here. Um, I, I'm not going to mention it. I don't think it's a, a, actually a real name. Um, oh, but, uh, well, let's just, let's just pick some European name for him. Like, I don't know, Johan or something. Okay. So Johan writes in. Uh, uh, also listening to the podcast, uh, sounds like he stumbled upon the making a murderer one. And, um, and first us off, you know, fairly, you know, similar to Jan's and saying that, he, that, uh, he, uh, is not entirely sure about the guilt question, but that he doesn't really care about that. He, his interest is more in criminal justice reform and creating a just system. I like that. A very noble sentiment. Yes, absolutely. So, um, but then uh, is, uh, you know, had had to, you know, was upset and had to write in to us because uh, when we said how difficult it was, would have been to plant uh, DNA evidence under the hood of the car, you know, he called us out for not having done more research uh, 
you know, on this specific issue because uh, lab technicians hadn't had you know contaminated potentially the hood by not changing gloves, and uh, it, it would have been even easier to plant this DNA because they had access to um, Stephen Avery's toothbrush for that entire week and could have just grabbed his toothbrush, rubbed it up inside the the hood of the uh, um, uh, of the SUV. And bingo, bingo! There's his DNA uh, on the hood. All right, so let's let's. I, mean, I know he's giving one uh, suggestion: a toothbrush. It could have been other things. Let's let's just take the toothbrush. Right well, here. Okay, so let's think about what happens if you do that. First of all, um, is the idea that the toothbrush got put back in, in the the toothbrush holder? Because if so, then you've got now low card uh, cross exchange. Uh, you know. Cross right. exchange, cross transfer principle. <laughs> that You've now got... you're going to find grease and dirt from a vehicle on a toothbrush. On a toothbrush. The other thing that you wouldn't know as an investigator if you did that, um, exactly whose DNA is on that. How do you know that that was Stephen Avery's toothbrush? Now, even if it was in his room, he does have this. Was it a girlfriend, or fiance at the time? Right. But whatever. Maybe you might find her toothbrush, her DNA on the toothbrush. So taking that chance of them rubbing it on there. You're, you now are going to place someone's DNA on the, the, the vehicle who was actually, I, I believe she was in jail at the in time. In jail, that that right. Right. So that you, you would really be risking things. Now, again, it wouldn't have to be the toothbrush in his scenario. He was offering one thing, but that's just it. Tell me what you would do that you knew for sure it would be his DNA and couldn't have anyone else's on it because you can't see DNA. Um, and that would sure seem, I and mean, it would be an easy case of okay. There's clear, clearly something strange going on here that might be run a foul play. Right, and and you know the, I would guess that if if uh, if officers were in the habit of doing something like this, and there have been cases of of officers planting evidence, it, it only goes for so long. You know, you you eventually get found out because of that kind of exact scenario where uh you 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 plant evidence and then when the evidence comes out and people actually take a look at it they go wait a minute this doesn't actually fit logically the the only way this evidence could have actually been here got you know, in this situation is if it had been planted um and right. I, I, yes, I'm kind of with you. Let's take the other scenario, though. I mean, and this does come up in transcripts. This does come up, um, uh, you know, in various you know, other sources as well. So the concept that the technicians had not changed their gloves all, you know, from... They put on gloves. They had their gloves on. Right. Did they, you know, when they were looking at one part, did they stop, take them off, and, and, and put on new gloves before they went to the hood? I mean, they did... They did admit this, that they had not changed their gloves. They were wearing gloves, but they had not necessarily changed them every time they went to a different part of the vehicle. Um, could that have caused cross-transfer? What, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, it, given, uh, it's, given it's Teresa Hallbach's vehicle, not necessarily Stephen Avery's vehicle. Right. That, that would be the thing, is, is that the, the cross-transfer... Sure, that's a risk of cross transfer, but you know that that risk of Teresa Halbach or even the technicians' DNA, you know, getting into those areas uh, would, would be you know just as likely to have happened, I guess. 
Yeah, you would have had to have touched the blood itself <laughs> with your gloves, which when you swab just doesn't happen. And it's not like it the molecules can travel that far from the end of the and the swab to your glove to then make themselves readily transferable to it's it's just it's and frankly it's it's implausible. Um now if there had if Stephen Avery had been all up in that vehicle, all over inside that vehicle and sweat on the seat and other stuff and they were, you know, doing a search or, you know, looking for latent prints and had touched, you know, a seat or the steering wheel right. or something like that, could they have transferred DNA from that to a different site of the of the vehicle? Yes, that that is possible. I mean, I, there's enough research that shows that kind of thing can happen. But again, that would mean that his touched DNA was somewhere within the vehicle, just not at the hood point. But again, given the fact that the battery was disconnected, and so it just simply make it just simply fits. It just it just fits. Right. Um, it, it's the it's it's the easier thing for my brain to accept, <laughs> as opposed right. to all of these other things that seem rather um, unlikely. I don't know. Maybe it's it, it seems like it's increasing that even faster, or just in society in general, is once. Once you've locked on to an idea and claimed it as your own, and, and it's a type of bias, um, sure they've named it, but good luck changing someone's mind. I mean, yeah, I think that's called um, escalation bias, commitment you know, bias. Once, yeah, once you've committed to it, then man, that's just. The way. I mean, it even works in in the latent print field, you know. Once someone has locked in and felt comfortable with, this is the number of candidates I'm going to search in APHIS. Yeah. Good luck changing their mind on that. I mean, you can present all the data that you want, but having them change their behavior and actually search more or fewer you know, because of a certain reason, they're just they're just not going to do it. Um, but same thing you know, here. It's what possibility can I throw out there to explain away this evidence that he's guilty because I've already fully committed to Stephen Avery as innocent, so anything that comes up has to have some other explanation. You stack on, you know, explanation after explanation after explanation, sure, you can come up with an explanation explaining away every piece of evidence that exists. But, you know, I think overall, we, we looked at this, we talked about the things that were, we weren't very comfortable with. You know, we talked about the things that we felt was stronger evidence, and we um, we came down on that side. Uh, well, first, before I read the final thing, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, no, I, 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 I think you put, I put, you put your finger on it. Okay, so the, the his last uh, paragraph here is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it just astounds me that it is people like you who, quote, run the justice system. Well, can, I guess we both got promoted here, Glenn. Um, uh, apparently, I, think, I, I didn't see that in my paycheck, but all right, I'm, I'm willing to accept that I'm running, running the, the justice, justice system. system. <laughs> yeah. I think he might be guilty, but it is the kind of carelessness and blind trust in the system from people like you which scares me, much more than a potential murderer going free. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, well, at least he acknowledged that he might be guilty. 
So right. I, I mean, that's that's something, I guess. But because there's plenty of people out there that won't even go that far. Yeah. But uh, all right, Glenn, go. Well, you know, I actually I thought um, Avery's attorney um, said it really well, and it, and it, and it was something I think I echoed too. I kind of actually have to have a little bit of blind trust in this in the system. I work with lots and lots of dedicated, hardworking, both forensic professionals, law enforcement professionals, defense attorneys, prosecutors, judges. I'm a part of, of a larger criminal justice system. I have to have some faith in this system that it works well because the idea – because if cops wanted to be planting evidence – they could in every case, practically. I mean, that's a bit of an overstatement, but if they really wanted to, they could. And that's a scary thought to me. And I think that was something that we heard from his attorney, that he almost had to hope that Stephen Avery was guilty and truly was guilty of the crime because the alternative right. that that this could happen and that the alternative was just too much to bear and just too depressing to think about and i and that's kind of my view too i work with really hard working people who would never want to take the chance to compromise a conviction you know they just wouldn't want to take any chances like that and i have to trust that people do the right job and that's why there are things like documentation and you've got a you know procedures that you follow and right. all those kinds of things it's why they're there to ensure the integrity of it but it, is it possible that someone with enough knowledge could game the system yes it is i just don't think it happens at any kind of rate that's alarming enough to me and that may be naive call me pollyanna but I, I have I have to believe that, or it's just too depressing a thought that evidence is constantly being planted in these cases. I, ju- I just I don't want to accept that. The big words here. Well, first, yeah, we we don't run the justice system. <laughs> we are we are small small cogs in the machine. Uh, that 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 you know us like many other forensic professionals that we've worked with. Uh, or have met over the years, you know, genuinely try their best to uh, to analyze the evidence and and give specific answers. For us, it's generally did did uh, can you figure out who touched this? Sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't. Um, uh, but you know, other the others as well in the in the throughout the building. What's in this? What you know? What's in this bag? Or um, someone's DNA on this surface. You know, it's it's just it's genuinely and trying to answer those kinds of questions. So just working through here, the sentence, the carelessness. I think we've we already talked about that. Yes, there were some things in this investigation that could have been done better. I, I don't think it, it's it's rampant carelessness throughout the system, and then blind trust. I think both of us have spoken at length about uh, different issues that have come up, mistakes that have been made um, in our own field and in other fields as well, mm-hmm. where, where I think it's, it's pretty clear that we, we really don't have blind trust in this system, that we want to look at what evidence is out there and we want to identify problems and, and provide the, the best information available. Uh, I mean, you r- routinely uh, are hired by the defense. It's not just to 
to take on their side to to be a hired gun for the uh for the bad guys um for the other side for the dark side you know it's you know working for this person to provide a specific answer that they have of who touched this or uh if there was any problem in this investigation mm-hmm. I, I think that we could just be just you know, faithfully following along with the entire rest of the system but i i I, don't know, I think it's out there that we have uh, raised questions um, on on certain cases, um, and in this case, that we've really come out honestly, broken down all these different things, the things with problems, the things that aren't that big a deal, and uh, come up with with our own opinion without being you know ex- the experts that were actually there on uh, on what all this evidence means from our perspective. Well said, sir. All right. Well, um, before this episode started, I, well, we were... I, don't, I, I don't expect that he'll be listening to many more episodes. But well, that's true. But, if, uh, if he is, hello, Johan. That's fine. Uh, hello, Johan, and and thank you for listening. Um, I I hope that you do listen to more of the things that we've talked about. Uh, like I've said before, my brother is not an expert, not any way involved in uh, in forensics at all, and he's listened to every episode. So there is some entertainment uh, uh, available in this. He has said that he's kind of skipped ahead on certain topics, but uh, um, if I'm not, just... we have awesome movie reviews. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> um, that's what really this is. This is our, our forum to review movies, and then we finish that up quickly and then talk about fingerprints for the rest of the time. But We're I, just I just hoping to was... get picked up by Sirius XM or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a little you know, behind-the-scenes thing. Uh, before we started, Glenn and I were like, well, do you think we're going to really have enough material just from these two emails to, to make up a whole episode? Uh, so now that we're about an hour in, I, I think, uh, I think we, <laughs> we made it. <laughs> um, we're always amazed at how, how much we can talk about, uh, something. So, um, all right, Glenn, anything you want to say before we close this out? Uh, well, I would just, uh, again, if listeners are looking for some training, uh, there are some classes coming up in sufficiency and exclusion decisions. There is a class, you well, know, you'd have to really get in right now. Um, but there's still seats open in the, it's a, it's in the Bay area, uh, near Oakland, uh, San Francisco, California. Uh, there are seats open. Go to ronsmithandassociates.com uh, to look for that. And that is going to be, Eric, you can cut this out or uh, fix this in post. Those dates would be, uh, the, date for, the dates for those class are April 4th uh, through the 8th, uh, coming up here in about a month or so. All right. And I uh, probably... By the time this comes out, I'll be probably on my way to New York because uh, uh, next week I'll be uh, teaching for a bunch of New York examiners in Saratoga Springs. The week after, I'll be on in Ontario, California. Uh, those are all pretty much filled up. Uh, so if you're interested in the exclusionology class, uh, your next opportunity is going to be in Houston from June 6th through the 8th. Uh, so with that, uh, write in to us, eric at rayforensics.com. Um, and Glenn at ElitePhorensicServices.com. We really do like getting the emails, uh, yeah. even if it's from, especially from the non-experts uh, yeah. and uh, our international listeners. Uh, we'll, we'll find Google Translate or something if uh, um, if we need to do that. 
Oh, uh, that I have to admit that would be great if uh, the Google Translator messes up certain words, but we just read the email as they are. <laughs> Sir, I want to know more about your fish sculpting right. powder. Well, that's I I gotta know I gotta think that maybe that's a good collection to start. Is is all the different uh, terms that you know that we use that are really colloquial and and just kind of you know descriptions of what we're seeing in the print and what other languages are used to refer to those things that'd be really interesting mm-hmm. uh, but uh, also follow me on twitter at ray forensics uh, so listen to us every week on soundcloud stitcher or on itunes and we'll see you guys next time bye everybody have a good week Music provided on this podcast by Mevio's Music Alley. Check it out at music.mevio.com. Music.